and welcome to Ben the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today, we are into A Storm of Swords, Sansa 1. Wow, what a great chapter, Jimmy. Now, we were going to do this last week, but uh, Sir Matt's back continues to be a little bit of an issue here. And I was like, dude, I can only stand for, I can only sit for like 10 minutes right now, so... I mean, we're trying to get uh, the stream going, you know, get this recording going. And Matt's standing up. He's down. He's on his knees. He's, he's sitting <laughs> Yeah, I know. This is the, hey, we're semi sort of back here. I think, you know, this one, this one will make its way onto YouTube as a video. I'm kind of got my camera back uh, and it's, you know, position here. Just like Davos was injured, you know, two weeks ago when we recorded that, you know, that's kind of <laughs> where I'm at now. You know, maybe you can get a little mother's mercy here. Then. <laughs> Can be feeling a little good, but yeah, my current setup is I'm got three pillows. And I'm kind of kneeling, uh, just gonna do it on my knees, you know, just <laughs> hey, like those ladies down in Flea Bottom. Okay, hell or high water, we're bringing you the content. <laughs> we're bringing you up. All right, okay. I'm doing this chapter literally on my knees, just like Shay. So you know, there we there there we go. So anyway, this is a, <laughs> a lot of shots. <laughs> how are you doing man how you doing i'm all right you know i uh been busy but uh all good things and interesting things and uh i've had a couple people um you know over on my youtube channel that i run for book reviews i've actually had a couple people join my discord over there and uh they're very first time readers of a song of ice and fire like they've never watched the show they don't know a thing and one of them just read the red wedding for the first time wow and matt let me tell you something. If there's anything that comes close to reading it for the first time, it's watching someone else read it for the first time. They were like, wait, what? No, 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 what? <laughs> you know, it's just watching someone have such a uh, visceral reaction to that scene is, is uh, incredible. One of the very many joys we have of, you know, creating content and communities around these wonderful stories. So it's been good. You know, I, I feel like I'm in a Song of Ice and Fire groove right now, and it's great. Yeah, well, hey, th things are heating up. Uh, we got a little bit of, of House of the Dragon news we covered last week. Right mm -hmm. now, like production's going on. There's some casting stuff. There was one thing that was kind of leaked. Ooh. Um, and it's nothing like, you know, nothing to really turn like to, to a whole video or anything. But uh, there was a casting sort of leak of just like a character they were looking for. But it's just the initials. I saw this, I believe, might have been winterscoming.net or Den of uh, Nerds. Um, Den of Geek, whatever that that site is, um, just one of the, you know Google sometimes sends you like weird notifications for stuff you're into, and it's like I clicked on it. Um, <laughs> but uh, AR was the initials for the character. Now it could be a lot of things, but could be Alice Rivers, which is a character we right is called a Damon's paramour. So hmm. very exciting news. Yeah, no, no names attached to it or anything, but just sort of that was, you know, one. It's actually just an augmented reality season, like the whole season is going to be an augmented reality. On Didn't Google somebody and... comment or something on us once saying that they watched they were watching how no, it was during our, our live streams for House of the Dragon. Somebody was like, dude, I was watching it in oculus rift listen we got a lot of <laughs> in those live streams they had didn't they they had some like cool stuff did i know for season eight they did right if you watched it in vr there was like some stuff around the screen or i don't you know i don't know i feel like that's something i would have done because <laughs> i'm a mark yeah and i and i would have done that but uh if if it exists I, I need to find it and need to experience it because yeah 
I can oh, only man. do VR for a couple. I feel like for me, it's like VR because I have a, a whatever quest two or whatever. I don't know. It's the Oculus quest. It's just like the standalone one. Mm-hmm. I literally only use it for Beat Saber. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's like after 30 minutes, my eyes are like no more. I couldn't watch I mean, I, I got an hour old. to an hour and a half. I got these big old glasses. It, it, VR doesn't really cooperate with me. And I know they have headsets that are supposedly fit for glass. I don't know, but I would make the sacrifice. I'll right. put in contacts to watch some Game of Thrones in VR. Yeah. Just do even more damage to your eyes. To yeah, watch, why not? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of banking on robo eyes at some point. Like it's going to be a risky operation, but probably worth it. You know, at some point, it'll probably be a thing. I hope so. All right. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> I think they've already put cybernetic eyes in people. And I'm going to get purple eyes. Apparently, I need a mechanical back. I need like one of them fusions or whatever mm-hmm. they got going on. So, yeah, you need a robo spine. You need to, you know, get the mountain makeover. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I need uh, Thor Samir. That's right. I need you know, in here to bring about back. So, all right. Well, hey, you know, with that, I thought a, a quick little interesting kind of topic here, Jimmy. This isn't, in, this isn't in the outline for today, but, you know, you just brought up the Red Wedding. And mm-hmm. right now is my favorite time of the year, not the start of the NFL season, but the start of the NFL New Year and NFL free agency. Why is it more the most exciting? Because everyone's making moves. Everyone's buying players and things like that. And so, Jimmy, what is the best Song of Ice and Fire pickup? Is it Roos Bolton for the Red Wedding? Is it Barrist and da- Daenerys, you know, getting Barrist and Selmy? Oh, it has to be. What's the best free agent move? No, it has and... to be easily, easily has to be Tyrion entering Danny's court. I mean, it hasn't happened in the book, but he's over there. We know it's going to happen, right? Tyrion getting picked up. I mean, it's enemy lines. You know, this is like when Favre went to the Vikings. I mean, it's just unprecedented levels of betrayal. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm going to say Tyrion ending up over in Marine and with, with Danny. I think that is possibly the biggest roster swap we've ever seen. Okay. What about so? you? Well, I don't know, man. I mean, Bruce Bolton to side of the Lannisters might have to be it. I mean, you talk. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big deal. It yeah. it completely cuts off Tyrion and the Greyjoys because Tyrion now's Winterfell. His it gets taken over, and it causes Rob to have to be like, "All right, now I've lost Winterfell, and I have to go back." And then the Red Wedding happens, mm. and the Lannisters didn't really have to do anything. Yeah, that's true. The Lannisters are up on that. Bolton even fights Stannis. So now the Lannisters have don't even have to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. That is definitely one of the bigger ones. I'm trying to think of other ones. I mean, the Night's Watch getting, you know, the last Targaryen possibly, you know, and John. I mean, that's pretty major. Right. I think that that uh, do we count the Night's Watch? The, the, Ty- Watch? the Tyrells. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're playing the market. You know, they're they're signing big, going for it all in that four or five year window. Like they're going to get the right. crown. Will they repeat? Probably not, but they're going to be there. They're going to go all in on it. They're going to go all in. They are the Rams of Ice and Fire. Yeah, we don't we don't care about our picks. We're just going, right. we're just go, we're just going for it. Uh, yeah, for you know, our... I mean, in House of the Dragon, I mean, Kristen Cole once he switches sides, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, Crispy Cole's definitely the X factor. Yeah, 
and then uh, you know yeah oh well yeah rainy season one is the biggest by yeah, far. in the show house of the dragon i would say rainy's has to be up there because that yeah, i guess like, i guess you could also count alice hightower you could but here's the thing rainy's right. has a dragon that's true that that's that's the that's the difference you know she's got a cannon for an arm yeah and then meanwhile you know back in a song of ice and fire we got varus and Illyrio rocking with young Griff, who's like Justin Fields. It's like, is he Hemothy or is he not Hemothy? Like, we're not sure. Yeah. Is he gonna show up? Is he real? I'm know. not in. I'm not in. I'm not You're buying out? it. I don't I don't buy that he's the real deal. Wait, who? Justin I... Fields or yeah. <laughs> both? Oh. <laughs> Apologies to our show. Actually, that thing. might be the best comparison. Young Griff might be the Justin Fields of <laughs> the a song of ice and fire universe it's like oh he's got some flashes i don't know man maybe he's gonna be the real deal don't know but you know what much like justin fields th this works for me because i'm a, a the ohio state university guy i saw him at ohio state all right and i can tell you he had flashes there too but he couldn't seal the deal much like young griff you don't think young griff's gonna sit no. there on the throne no Oh, done? he may take it for a minute, but he's not going to last to the end game. He's never going to be like a champion. He's going to burn bright, then phase out. Okay. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Sorry to all of our Chicago listeners. I know there's uh, plenty of you out there. Send us a hateful raven at btkcast right. at gmail.com. <laughs> now, who's the Aaron Rodgers? Oh, the overly dramatic. Probably Renly. Yeah. Renly. Because when he's gone, no one's going to remember him, you know? The overly dramatic. It's a tough one. Who is the most dramatic? Renly's pretty dramatic. Honestly, Stannis. It might be Stannis. Stannis is kind of over dramatic. Yeah, it might be Stannis. Stannis is actually more dramatic than Renly now that I'm thinking about it. And like, <laughs> well, Joffrey's kind of dramatic too. Well, yeah. I mean, Joffrey's the the worst right. i can't even think of a of an equal all of our european listeners are like what in the world are they aaron Rodgers was in game of thrones all right so it counts oh yeah wait was he yeah he had a cameo and he had cameo in season eight the big the battle see that's where it yeah. all went south yeah because they there's actually we should we could do a thing about all the celebrity like cameos we I mean, could cheer rank like the, them the there we go the big one is ed sheeran right obviously because yeah. it's um, also the most divisive yeah, then Aaron Rodgers had one, and I always forget his name, but it's like Rob Mackle. I, I for, forget, but he's in always, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, oh, okay. I always forget his last name, uh, but anyway, he's he cameos in there as, as well. It's kind of like Stephen Colbert cameoing in uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, Lord of the Rings. Gotcha. I, think I, know he's, I don't know if he's in, is he in Lord of the Rings or is he just in. I think and I think he cameos in like the Hobbit movies. I don't know. I just know he's a massive Tolkien fan. Yeah, like massive. All right. Well, you know what? Hey, that's enough NFL. For, that's enough of a song of ice and fire free agency. <laughs> OK, we can come back to it. I so, like it. Uh, all right, here we go. So this is a big chapter. You know, we, we've been having some of these smaller chapters um, and the the summary doesn't even do this chapter justice because there's so much going on. And this is, I can say, hands down, one of George's best written chapters. Like, again, this is why I love going back to the chapters, because you get to see like the brilliance of George's writing. This mm -hmm. is hands down. Yeah, I mean, I 
probably top five. I don't know how many chapters we're into, the, but so far I would say this is probably the best chapter of the book so far. Yeah, I, I that Jamie chapter. The Jamie chapter is super important, but in terms of like well written, it's was this one's really good. The ending is like amazing. There's there's a lot of impressive feats done actually here for a a chapter that revolves around uh, a bear and a maiden fair, and mm -hmm. um, on top of that, just tons of dialogue. Um, it's really really impressive the way George is still able to propel things forward and build around the world. Because, you know, whenever you have dialogue over exposition or narrative is the, the actions at a standstill, you might be able to walk between lines. But like for all intents and purposes, the narrative thrust is paused while you relay this important dialogue. And this is something like a lot of other fantasy writers struggle to do, in my opinion, is to like naturally relay like world building and, and important information. Right. That builds out other characters even. And George does it throughout this entire chapter. He literally starts building out the history. He starts building out future schemes. Uh, he builds out family trees in here and all while being extremely entertaining. And every single character in this scene, because that's really what this chapter is. It's right. a scene. Um, every single character has a unique voice. Like I can tell yeah. who's talking without the dialogue tags. And it's so impressive. And that's why, you know, in the show, they lifted a lot of the dialogue straight from the book because George is awesome at it. Yeah, in fact, this is a scene, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of people say books are better than the show. Um, this scene, though, because rewatching it, I don't think the bear and the maiden fair is playing in the background of of this scene in the show. So, but it playing here is like so, so much good. bigger because he's doing this back and forth. So let me get to the summary here real quick. So Sansa is invited to supper by Marjorie and her grandmother, the Lady Olena. She is escorted to the party by Loras and unknowingly upsets him by talking of Renly's death. The party is held in the Maiden Vault, where King Baylor the Blessed confined his sisters so they would not tempt him, as he as he had sworn a vow of celibacy. She is introduced to all of Marjorie's cousins and companions, but is it is the Queen of Thorns who takes the most interest in Sansa. Lady Olena reveals that the Baratheons have Targaryen blood, and that the Tyrell claim to Highgarden has always been shaky, since several other houses in the Reach can can claim descendant from Garth Greenhand. The old woman makes it known that her son is an oaf for making this alliance with the Lannisters, and she wishes to learn from Sansa the truth of what Joffrey is. Sansa fears that Varys is listening, but Lady Olenna commands Butterbumps to sing at the top of his voice. Sansa reveals the truth about Joffrey to the Queen of Thorns and Marjorie, telling them that the king is a monster and that she fears for Marjorie. Lady Olenna assures Sansa that the wedding will still go on. Mace is determined that his daughter wed the king, the Queen of Thorns offers Sansa a proposal to visit Highgarden after the wedding and wishes Sansa to marry her grandson, Willis. So another thing uh, to take from this chapter, too, and we'll dive in and be jumping all around this uh, again. This is a reread is this is one of those things that ties into that sort of Sansa tourney of Ashford prophecy, you know, theory, right? That this is one here where Sansa is offered to Willis Tyrell in, I think it's Leo Tyrell. That's the, one of the champions of Lady Ashford, which is why there's a Targaryen left in the sort of to mirror what Sansa would be doing with the tourney of Ashford champions. Uh, but as we see here, Sansa doesn't have to actually have to marry that person or even mm -hmm. be engaged to that person. It just sort of has to be offered up. So, you know, we've talked about we I think we did like a Patreon episode about that, about Sansa and the Woods of Winter. And we've talked about it sort of recently because I know I did like a YouTube short uh, and TikTok about it. And some people were saying there's no way that's going to happen because I said, you know, in theory, she could marry John. 
or whatever. It's like, no, she just has to. It's, I think that that prophecy or theory is going to come true. I do think some a somebody's going to propose that Sansa marry a Targaryen going forward in the future. She doesn't actually have to do it for it to sort of click into those things. But I do think that that's one of those uh, that is a theory that's likely to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We've speculated on that a lot. And I think I think there's definitely some pathways that make sense for her to to do so or to at least be offered up. Um, man, uh, one thing I just want to point out in this chapter and one thing that we have to always remind ourselves, you know, because we do watch the show is just like Loris Tyrell and Renly. We get a scene with them in the show, in the books. How like delicately hinted at is it here? Now, now some of it's a little more on the nose later in this book. Jamie kind of tells Solaris he's going to stick a sword where Renly couldn't find, you know, I mean, it's a little on the nose here, but even here, him not remembering Sansa from the tourney, you know, mm -hmm. says, well, maybe he wins a lot of tourneys, but also maybe he's not all that interested in the maidens. And then how he gets upset and gets flustered and gets a lot more stern whenever Renly's death is mentioned. Like, it's just like little things like that. And it's like, man, I forgot, like, this is a lot more delicately handled in the book than it is in the TV show. And I, I really like that because this is all subcontext in this chapter because we're in Sansa's POV and she's worried about making a fool of herself in front of Loras and also worried about whether she's going to be fed to the wolves after she basically snitches on Joffrey. Uh, and then we have all this underlying subtext of like, oh, by the way, Loras also happens to to be gay, which is something in this world that a lot of people are frowning upon. And, and it's not, I wouldn't say it's the... Uh, expected normal quote-unquote normal behavior in westeros for a night and uh that makes loris let I me mean, look at this look at all this uh you know right. compelling nuance that's added to loris's character in a chapter that's actually about sansa it's really really good right as well as you know some of those things like as you said we don't we haven't gotten it all as much through the chapter as we did you know through the chapters as we did in the show mm -hmm. especially that sort of loris renly relationship but now it sort of also helps drive home a little bit uh you know the idea of well maybe that's one of the other reasons that the tyrells were sort of supporting renly's claim mm -hmm. as you know as opposed to either stannis or that's joffrey's right. whatever initially um you know another thing too is i don't believe in the books we get a we get a conversation between like marjorie and renly like we do in the show of like oh like nothing really ever happened between that, those that's two. right that's right yeah i think it's alluded to later like they say like is her maidenhood in place for king I joffrey think, and then right they, yeah. they talk about that but uh they essentially say that renly was too drunk i think I, so there's there's a story behind it and everything but yeah we don't get that because neither of them are pov characters in in the actual story so you know just think about how well fleshed out all these side characters are that you know we had in the show that in the books are all seen from one perspective it's crazy yeah um so okay so let's dive in uh to the chapter here so so here's how it starts off the invitation seemed innocent enough but every time sansa read it her tummy tightened into a knot she's to be queen now she's beautiful and rich and everyone loves her why would she want to sup with the traitor's daughter it could be curiosity she supposed perhaps Marjorie Tyrell wanted to get the measure of the rivals she's displaced. Does she resent me, I wonder? Does she think I bear her ill will? Sansa had watched from the castle walls as Marjorie Tyrell and her escort made their way up Aegon's High Hill. Joffrey had met his new bride-to-be at the King's Gate to welcome her to the city, and they rode side by side through the cheering crowds. Joff, glittering in his gilded 
armor and the Tyrell girl splendid in green with a cloak of autumn flowers blowing from her shoulders. She was 16, brown haired and brown eyed, slender and beautiful. The people called out her name as she passed, held up their children for her blessing and scattered flowers under the hooves of her horse. Her mother and grandmother followed close behind, riding in tall wheelhouses whose sides were carved into the shape of a hundred twining roses, every one gilded and shining. The small folk cheered them as well. The same small folk who would have pulled me from my horse and who would have killed me if it had not been for the hound. Yes, the hound comes back up here. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing, as we talked about sort of comparison between the book and the show, you know, if you read, we're reading this, really, it's kind of like the Battle of the Blackwater is almost, you know, it's one of the last chapters. So it's like, okay, you just hear that, oh, hey, the Tyrell showed up. Yeah. And, you know, then we actually get a lot more stuff with the Tyrells in the show. Like we see scenes between Joffrey and whatever and Cersei here. It's this is really the first time we're kind of seeing the, the Tyrells. Yeah. And and we keep hearing about them. And even in Tyrion's POV, he knew the Tyrells had had come to town and he was also wondering about them. And this is the first time we get to see him really on screen here, which is pretty impressive i i think i think uh we see marjorie we see them in the catlin chapter but this is like they're right. they're kind of in the forefront and and you know directly impacting sansa's pov chapter and uh it's interesting because there's hints here that they're climbers that they're that they're scheming and kind of putting themselves in positions for power but to be honest with you they don't come across very negative at least not in my opinion and maybe it's just finally that there's someone else that wants to hear the honest to god truth about joffrey that's so refreshing to us and you gotta wonder like i know it works out in this chapter but like kind of a risky move by sansa here is it not oh incredibly like uh. in so yeah I know it, incredibly risky she's kind of brave for for doing that i know some people would say she's an idiot but you know maybe idiocy and bravery are go hand in hand because good on her yeah no, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that's another reason why it's better here because, and I think, you know, it also helps sort of establish Elena as a little more powerful because oh, yeah. she's like she knows to use butter bumps to sing, so Sansa can say say it right. Um, and I think that it just I think they do a very good job of this is really our first chapter with her establishing oh she's like a a big important powerful like she knows what she's doing and she is hilarious oh <laughs> I yeah much uh, she's such a good break from like you know of you know again in i guess new character as you're reading it for the first time like such a good character for so many reasons yeah, just uh, an, an older lady that's tired of all the bullshit <laughs> is not yeah. here for it at all, has no time for anyone's games. And, you know, she even makes a, a couple comments about how they treat spiders, uh, you know, uh, where she's from and how they will squat, let them kind of go about. But if they swing too close to the tree, we squash them or something along those lines. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, she's savvy. She's very, very savvy and uh, no nonsense. And just Marjorie, I love the Marjorie's line. Like, grandmother, what is Sansa to think of us? <laughs> so right. Good cop, bad cop kind of vibe. You know, even in the show where we get some extra scenes, like there's a scene of her talking to Tywin um, where they're sort of making accusations at each other. Oh, and man. like Tywin sort of says something about Loras and she's like, yeah, everyone knows he's gay, you know, but then she comes back and she's like, you know, what's even worse 
Boom. Like, yeah, <laughs> brothers and sisters. And uh, I just like, want to know Whoa. what happened in Germ's family that made him think that like all families have some, you know, devious yeah. incestual secret or something. Like, I, I just feel like uh, something had to happen to George. I don't know. Why. What do you uh, do? You think her end is going to be pretty similar? Who Elena's? Elena's Olen- end. Um... I think she. You know, of, of the characters who had, you know, obviously way past where we're at in the books if that was her end i wouldn't be too disappointed with it i i could see that um where you know she jamie basically goes and takes the castle and she tells jamie i'm the one who killed joffrey and then she drinks poison yeah i could see it i could see it and it would be fine like that's one of those hard ones it's like how is germ gonna wrap that like how does he fit that in right it has right. to be from like the fallout of marjorie and except the Baylor and everything that happens in the book. So that that's like one of those loose ties in the books that maybe gets wrapped up the same way, or maybe it's in some very, you know, um, common sense way that I can't, maybe she dies of old age in the books. Who knows? Yeah. Or she just gets sick or maybe, maybe they still build the septa Baylor up and uh, she's in it. Yeah. There's also been a lot of talk and people think that George is going to play around with a grayscale plague in the, in the uh, winds of winter book. And who's to say that a lot of our elderly don't pass away for, from that. That could also yeah. be something, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, another thing we've been talking about these past couple of weeks, as we get to these sort of first chapters, you know, the first chapter of all, all of the books, uh, you know, especially like a clash of Kings on, I mean, the first, cha- the first chapter of the game of Thrones, you're just getting introduced to these characters, but we are always sort of getting the new set of circumstances for these characters. And this one, I think, is, you know, now, you know, think about what's happened to Sansa. Sansa was supposed to marry Joffrey and all hell breaks loose. Joffrey says, I'm going to send your dad to the wall and he kills him. Then Sansa's basically a prisoner and being tortured, like, you know, in the throne room, just being beaten up by, I mean, being beaten by, uh, you know, the king's guards. Right. Until Tyrion shows up. And but towards the end of it, she kind of, you know, now it's almost like Cersei in a way is her mentor. You know, it's like you look at these characters in a way. It's always like whoever sort of will end whoever they're running around with ends up sort of being like somebody that shapes their character or in a way as a mentor, whether they're a good person or bad person, you know, like Arya's is with the hound. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he will influence her. Jack and influences her and that you they pick up a little bit of that as they go. This, I think, is another chapter where Sansa. Like sort of is learning the game a little bit more right now. It's like, okay, so now Sansa is in a way it's so interesting because it feels like on one hand, she's in a safer position because, okay, now I'm going to marry. Even if it's not Loras, I'm going to marry a Tyrell. Like, I can get out of here. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a lot more dangerous because, right? You know, that's what, do you think, I mean, like we see that that shot in the show of Baelish saying, you think that he's just going to let you go? You think mm-hmm. Joffrey's going to, like, let one of his playthings go? And that's ultimately where we're sort of heading with Sansa. Yeah. I like what you said, though, about, like, how people kind of shaping and impacting and, I think that's very true, right? Like we all don't want to be like our parents, but unfortunately there are pieces of us that we cannot help that are just going to be like the people who help shape us, whoever ended up raising us, whether it be grandparents or other people. And I think that's a pretty human thing. And this is character growth. A lot of people complain that Sansa is just so stupid and 
one, you have to remember she's actually really young in the books. Right. Uh, and also going through a ton of trauma. I also believe that she is the lens of the fantasy reader in a lot of ways, which I could go on and on about, but I won't. But this is character growth. This is showing that she is slowly but surely learning, especially after that really tense moment, you know, while they're sitting there thinking that Cersei's going to have to take all their lives, you know, when Ellen Payne's standing next to them during Blackwater. So this shows uh, a, a smidgen of character growth. And yeah, I think she's trying yeah. to figure it out a little bit. We're going to see a well, bunch of different songs by the end of the series, for sure. Yeah. You know, I'm just looking at some of the at some of the things here. Right. So Elena's, you know, bringing cakes and all of these things to sort of, like, you know, like butter Sans up and Sansa's like scared. I mean, she's frightened. Like, are you frightened, child? No need for that. We're only women here. You know, tell me the truth. No harm will come to you. And in a way, Elena is still totally using Sansa because clearly she like doesn't really care about her. Mm -hmm. um, right. It all feels and, very manufactured. The whole thing. Feels yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, the whole, it's like, hey, we're trying to fatten you up before we eat you, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and Sansa's whole time is she's in fear. I mean, here you're meeting with the person that's going to marry Joffrey instead of you should be relieved. You should be like, oh, my God, like, I don't have to marry Joffrey anymore. But instead, she's still so fearful Paranormal. of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Paranoid of this whole thing of of it, which I actually I kind of think you know, like in a way it's almost Theon esque of like Theon, mm -hmm. like Theon and um, Bolton, Ramsey, Ramsey Snow, Ramsey Bolton, whatever, uh, you know, and like, I don't want to, you know, he's so fearful of it, which actually is why I, I do sort of think that was a good pairing of the two in the show of Theon and, and Sansa. Um, Cause they both go through, you know, very like extremely traumatic uh you know situations but yeah i think theon, you know, they're gonna go in a different way with sansa because that doesn't happen in the books yeah theo uh theon theo theon uh definitely goes through even a more intense stockholm syndrome for for right. his situation i think but yeah it is a really good parallel to draw between the two and they're they're kind of afraid to bite bite the hand that oppresses actually which is, which is right. interesting yeah so I'd say like the, the the biggest takeaway from this and where everything gets really good is essentially once Butterbumps, who, by the way, I think this is this the first time we see Butterbumps. As far as I'm aware, this is the yes. Butterbumps debut. All right. So Butterbumps is, you know, the other fool, uh, except he's much more portly than, say, Mushroom, which should lead you uh, not Mushroom. Um, patch face. No, not patch face. Mushroom, it, who's the one that Cersei might Moon Boy? There oh, we Moon go. Boy, Moon Boy. There we go. Cersei you know, side piece. All the they all sort of blend. Yeah, they all sort of blend together. So that should just tell you about Moon Boy, right? Well, Moon Boy's not fat, so at least there's you know at least there's that. There's levels to this. There's levels. I mean, Cersei's not banging butter bumps, so <laughs> she might. <laughs> she might be. She's getting a little thicker, you know. She. People, people uh, like some uh, variety, man. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Hey, nothing wrong with it. So Butterbumps is there and he's singing, you know, the bear, the bear and the maiden fair. And they're having this conversation. Right. And it, honestly, the whole thing is just so good. I'm just going to I'm probably going to read quite a bit of it. So it's happening this back and forth. Uh, Sansa's finally talking about how terrible Joffrey is. 
you know, Lady Elena uh, squirmed forward. Even when I was a young girl, when I was a girl younger than you, it was well known that in the Red Keep, they the very walls have ears. Well, they will be better for a song. And meanwhile, we girls shall speak freely. So, but Sansa said, Varys, he knows, he always. Sing louder, the Queen of Thorns shouted at Butterbombs. These old ears are almost deaf, you know. So he goes on. The bear thundered Butterbombs in his great deep voice echoing off the rafters. Oh, come, they said, oh, come to the fair. The fair said he, but I'm a bear all black and brown and covered with hair. The wrinkled old lady smiled. At High Garden, we have many spiders. You know, as Jimmy said, uh, you know what you know what we do with spiders continues on and down the road from here to there from here to there three boys a goat and a dancing bear Sansa felt as her heart had lodged in her throat you know she's struggling to get this over and then she finally you know a shiver went through her a monster Joffrey is a monster he lied about the butcher's boy and made my father kill my wolf when I displeased him he has the king's guard beat me he's evil and cruel my lady it's so and the and the you know a lady Elena Tyrell and her granddaughter exchanged a look. Ah, you know, that's a pity. So Sansa's, you know, horrified here. If Marjorie wouldn't marry him, Joff will know that I'm to blame. You know, please don't stop the wedding. You know, she says, have no fear. You know, it will continue. Um, dance and spun all the way to the fair, the fair, the fair. You know, then they sort of shift gears here. This is where they're going to say, oh, would you like to, maybe we can propose a marriage for you? And Sansa the whole time is thinking Loras. Yeah. The whole, I mean, the rest of this chapter, she's thinking about, you know, she's talking about, is the queen going to let me go? You know, and she's just thinking about this because a lot of it's internal. You know, they're asking like, would you like this? Would you like to go visit Highgarden? All of these things. So as it's, as this internal dialogue is going on in between the song, I'm going to read the song here. You know, oh, sweet was she and pure and fair, the maiden with her honey in her hair. Uh, you know, going back and forth about the hair, smelled the scent on the summer air, the bear, the bear, all black and brown and covered with hair. He smelled the scent on the summer air. He sniffed and roared and smelled it there, honey on the summer air. Oh, I'm a maid and I'm pure and fair. I'll never dance with a hairy bear, a bear, a bear. I'll never dance with a hairy bear. So now, again, she's still thinking about Loras. You know, the sweetness of his laugh, the warmth of his hand. She could only imagine what it would be like to pull up on his tunic and caress his smooth skin underneath to stand on her toes and kiss him. You know, uh, you know, a flush even goes up her neck. So then, you know, she blurts out, you know, oh, I would love to wed Sir Loras to love him. And they say, Loras? Oh, <laughs> Kingsguard never wed. They Didn't they teach you anything at Winterfell? We're speaking of my grandson, Willis. And of course, you know, we don't know anything about Willis at, at this exact moment in here. So she felt dizzy. All of her dreams of Loras, again, are sort of ripped out of her, you know, out of her. She's like, I do not know Sir Willis. I have never had the pleasure, my lady. Is he a great as knight as his brothers? Lifted her into the air. The bear, the bear. You know, and then they say, to tell the truth, the poor lad is crippled. And that's the way of it. You know, he was hurt as a squire. His horse fell, you know, sort of continues on. Now, this is big, and we can come back to this. That snake of a Dornishman was to blame Oberon Martell. Great little lore dump, bring in Oberon Martell mm -hmm. as well as this whole things. I called for a night, but you're a bear. A bear, a bear, all black and brown and covered with hair. 
you know, it sort of continues on. Willis has a bad leg, but a good heart. You'll love him as we do. She kicked and wailed the maid so fair, but he licked the honey from her hair, hair, the honey from her hair. You know, when might I meet him? Soon. You know, when you come to High Garden after Joffrey and I wed, my grandmother will take you. Then she sighed and squealed and kicked the air. My bear, she sang, my bear is so fair. And they went off and off they went from here to there. The bear, the bear and the maiden fair. Um, you know, and then Lady Elena says, I thought that dreadful song would never end. <laughs> Look, here comes my cheese. Yeah. So it's so good. This back and forth. Yeah, because yeah. The what's going on in the song is not only foreshadowing to us, like at first you just sort of tune it out. Right. When you're when you're reading it for the first time, you're just tuning it out. because You're like, I get butter. I'm just singing, whatever. But George is not only saying commenting on what just happened, but also what's about to happen in that. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a maiden fair. And what you're actually not going to get is this pure white knight like you think is Loris, even though Loris wouldn't actually want anything to do with Sansa, but at least in her mind, this yeah. image this thing she's dreaming of is again, ripped from her. And no, it's actually going to be my crippled cousin, Loris. Yeah. Um, and, and the Tyrells here are, are shame, almost making fun of her, making her feel shameful for being so naive. Right. And they're saying, right. you know, did they not teach you anything in Winterfell? And, you know, that kind of gets her on the defense. Like, Oh no, no, no. I want you to like me. Like they know what position she's in right now. So, so they're taking advantage of that. And on top of that, hey, this is a uh, a good way of getting Winterfell underneath Tyrell control, as well as the Red Keep, the Iron Throne. Yeah. Tyrells are making moves here. Yes, it just so happens what we want, we do want to see Sansa be rescued. We want to see her go to Highgarden. We're like, would you like to see Highgarden? And she's like, yes, yes. And I'm thinking in my head, yes, please send her to Highgarden, please. And uh, it just so happens that they're... Uh, climbing technique here is is coinciding with what i'd like to see happen for sansa yeah you know and this is really strike i would say this is in all honesty this is kind of strike two for sansa and the idea that somebody and again this is where i think it works is sansa's story is one of songs right and what do we think of when we think of like medieval songs or medieval fairy tales it's always a beautiful princess being saved by a gallant yes. knight yes and it's the first time she thinks it's going to be Joffrey. Mm -hmm. And who is it that actually saves her? Well, in a way, it's a bear. It's the mountain or the hound. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Now she's sitting here thinking, okay, who I'm, I'm going to marry Willis. And which well, actually ends, I'm going to marry Loris. And then it turns out to be Willis. And then it turns out to be Tyrion. Right. And then again, now it's sort of Sir Dantos that we'll, you know, get to that she thinks is going to be the one to save her. Yeah. And it's being. And ends up being Baelish. She continues to be um, attempted at rescue by people who she would have considered to be grotesque or monstrous or the the anti knight, if you will. And the reason why I said earlier that Sansa is the lens of the fantasy reader is that in the context of when A Song of Ice and Fire was published, and what George is doing is George is having a uh, essentially a really long conversation with the fantasy genre, and he's subverting a lot of the tropes and a lot of the expectations that we have of a fantasy book. And in many ways, this is a conversation of, of George R. R. Martin talking to Tolkien. And Sansa is the prototypical fantasy reader. She she believes that there are going to be knights and that there will be heroes and there will be bad people. And that is how the world works. And unfortunately she is seeing all of that coming crashing down and she is now experiencing the unexpected. And it's very much the same experience of someone, you know, now we're a lot more desensitized to all this stuff, but you know, go back to when game of Thrones was published and you go into storm of swords is published. Even then 
not 80s, a, 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. This wasn't really happening. And George uh, really set a new trend in the fantasy genre that we hadn't seen since Tolkien. And obviously, Harry Potter is also a part of that conversation. But um, yeah, so Sansa is the lens of the fantasy reader. She is a stand in for the prototypical fantasy reader from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And it's uh, really clever how George puts that in there. And also, if you've noticed, the only people who are harsh to Sansa are readers. And what I mean by that is like for her actions. Now, like George doesn't write her in a manner that he is like demeaning to her POV. Do you know what I'm saying? I've only ever heard readers talk about how stupid Sansa is and how naive and how she she's asking for it. And all of that, in my opinion, is very mean. <laughs> There's a lot of contempt for Sansa as a, as a POV in these books, whereas I find myself having a lot of empathy for her. Yeah, no, I do. I do too. Um, you know, and the other thing I think I like about her is ultimately what ends up her the way her story's going isn't even to end up being saved by these monstrous people. She's going to save herself. She's saved by herself. She's going to save yeah, herself. She's going to be the one to sort of pull herself up, you know, by her bootstraps and say, all right, I'm going to be the one to do it, which is why for me, the best Sansa moment, I think it's done exceptionally well in the show, you know, is when that moment with Baelish yeah. she could kill him off right right then and there she could end Baelish right there you know in in the veil when she but you know she's like nope I'm gonna play the game and the best part about it is that Baelish knows uh-oh she knows what she's doing what have I created oh no right. I'm I completely love the way Sansa's story goes in the show I think it's probably gonna be pretty similar I don't know if she's gonna put the queen of the north and like the north's gonna be independent or whatever but yeah, I didn't like her and Ramsey, uh, to be honest with you. I didn't think her character needed that. Um, no. But I also don't like that she was at end, at odds with Danny. Like, it felt very much like girl boss versus girl boss. And it just had this really, like, contrived feeling to that tension. But I did love Queen of the North. Queen of the North yeah. and her getting that. And that's what she wanted. I mean, I think it was amazing. Even the moment in the council was kind of cool when she wants the independence. My only problem with that is, like, they were acting as if Dorne wasn't independent long after you know uh the starks bent the knee so that kind of annoyed me but for sansa's character i did enjoy um i did enjoy a lot of the decisions she made as a leader yeah yeah you know just speaking on what you said um kind of it's, it's been a, it's been obviously a topic in the community especially like the hardcore deep song of ice fire community yeah i think i disagree with the idea that they needed to do that stuff with ramsey i just i don't know i mean I don't know. I just, I think you still could have gone a different route. I mean, I, in one way, you know, in some ways yeah. it's like it's Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? Like it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. And then you come out of that. Like you come out of something so horrible that, you, you know, that like it's going to make you stronger and it should make like the idea of him like getting revenge, her getting revenge on him that much deeper. I don't know, because obviously, because it's you know, a little like, tired at this point, too, in media like, well, it was like, but the way they did it in the show was like, a, like, I mean, that that might be the most crazy like thing that they ever did in the show. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of the gratuity and, um, you know, a lot of like the overtly disgusting things, people kind of assigned them to the book. But actually, the show is far more gratuitous, in my opinion. Yeah. It's a visual medium. Yeah. Too, so. Yeah, especially because especially because it doesn't even happen to her. 
Yeah, that's why I don't like it. It's like I, I don't yeah. think her character needs that to to be what she ends up becoming, like a strong, yeah. uh, you know, a strong leader and a strong person in this right. patriarchal world as a woman is is an inspiring story, and I think one that George intends to tell. Right, she doesn't have to be abused, you know. Yeah, because obviously, you know, there's obviously all there's tons of like you know rape that goes on in a song of ice and fire in the show and stuff, but a lot of it like we don't necessarily see like on screen. Yeah. Another thing yeah. is in medieval history, um, obviously, you know, people talk about how like that's how it was back then, but uh, uh, sexual abuse towards women in Royal families was actually not all that common. Now you could, the Cersei Robert Baratheon thing absolutely right. happened, but I'm talking about like just, it, it's it's a right. difficult topic to talk about but it, it is, wasn't yeah. it was the way it goes down with sansa wasn't as common like even that kind of hatred fueled wedding like that doesn't that that right. didn't happen all the time so i do have to push back a little bit when people say well, that's historically accurate and it's like not technically right because like theon does i think you know theon theon does it to that uh when he takes Luke winterfell he yes. yeah but yeah it's just in the show is a totally different thing i don't know I don't know. You know, I mean, I like songs. Gross, I mean, it's kind of like, right. It's kind of, I mean, that's, you know, even in house of the dragon, there was extremely controversial scenes, but it's like one thing when it's like, it's like, it's game of Thrones, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say is at least it starts conversation. For me, that's for me. That's the, for me, that is the single toughest scene to watch. Yeah. I agree. And that's like the one scene. If I do a rewatch, I was like, nah, I'm skipping that. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I, I like Sansa's arc more in the books, personally. I actually love the entire veil thing with Peter Baelish. That's why, dude, wins a winner. Like, we're gonna get the bulk. Her veil thing is gonna be the biggest deal. It's gonna be so good. It's like she's, she's is the free agent. That's why I oh, described her. She she's is the, the, the winner free agent because she can go in any direction, bringing it like, all it, around. I love because it. it's so different. Like that's it. the thing that makes it most exciting for her is it's totally different because she's not running from Ramsay. She no. could be the one to just go wipe him out and not even having never know who he is, really. I mean, you know, she'd know he's Lord Bolton of the. Oh, and then, you know, you know the veil. We, we think possibly that there's a lot of people in the veil who have secret identities and different mm -hmm. names. And then the name of it being the veil, like a veil over a face. There's a lot of symbolism there. Good God. Yeah. I love this series. My God. So good. Let's yeah. go. Uh, all right, let's dive back into the chapter a little bit here too, because you know, okay, so we were talking about a lot of things, and one thing you know I wanted to I wanted to bring back up here, just because we said we'd come back to it, is again right here this tiny little thing, and this is what George does. And this is why we say everything matters. That snake of a Dornishman was to blame, right? You know, Oberyn Martell just drops it in there, and it's like okay, it's kind of like Mance Raider. Mance Raider's mm -hmm. drop isn't Mance Raider's name is dropped in the first like five chapters. And then we find out that he was actually at the feast during that time, which is wild. Big deal. Yeah. Very big deal. George does that. He George does such. I mean, that's why I love this, this little, this little bit here. And it might on, I still think it's like one of the things where I think George is doing his absolute expert writing. He is nailing out a song while also showing like drastic character development for Sansa while also foreshadowing what's going to happen, making parallels to all kinds of things and still does lore dumps of Ober and Martell. Yeah. And we get I mean, Garth and we get Garth the Green Hand in this chapter, it, bro. It's insane. I mean, of you know, all the chapters that we were like to rank them of like where we think they stand upon just like chapter. I mean, this is like a five out of five star chapter. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about this book, though. This is this is my favorite book of all time. 
I think it's the best fantasy book ever written. And it's because of this. Like, there is so much going on. Not, not only is he building out the history and building out future things for, you know, the next few books, but he's also tying uh, into plot lines that he created two books ago. I mean, it's just, it's excellent. It's excellent. And yeah. it's a middle book of a series. A middle book of a series is usually never the best. No, this one's the best. This is this changed the genre right here. I mean, this is right, it. when I hit Wheel of Time book three. I was like, this is one of my least favorite books. It was not a good book. <laughs> Bland Al Thor. I thought, I thought that one was okay. Yeah, mid Al Thor. Yeah, I mean, I thought that one, I thought it was okay. But the, you know, then the series went so long that book five actually became my least favorite book. In the, in the yeah, well, there, there's always a new bottom. So, <laughs> so. All right. Well, here we go. So let me pull up um, from. I love to pull this right. The Song of Ice and Fire you know, uh, re subreddit, uh, reread. So this one, uh, was from three years ago. You know, they do these cycles too, where you can go, where you can go find them and stuff like this, what people are saying about it. Um, so saying, you know, Sansa's Gadar is non-existent. Uh, I wonder if we ever get to know what Marjorie Tyrell is really like. What are her true ambitions? Does she mm -hmm. ever have them? You know, show Marjorie was basically just the actress playing the same role she did uh, in the Tudor show. Uh, it felt <laughs> nothing like the book version of her. I assume Sansa's confession was what really triggered the plan to kill Joffrey, which is actually a really good point. Hmm. Um, and something maybe we should think about and try to like pay attention to as we progress through any chapter that sort of views them. Uh, this also means that Joffrey might not have been killed if Sansa had lied about his nature. You know, High Garden sounds like a nice place. Elena keeps ranting about how stupid Mace Tyrell is, but I've never really gotten that impression. Um, that Mace is dumb. I don't know. They really play him off like an idiot in the show. Yeah, I, I'm very. Once we get to the the purple wedding, we, we'll talk a little bit more about who we think is responsible because we know who it is in the show, and I think it'll probably be the same for the books. But there's a couple details that are very different in the books, and we'll save that for that episode in like six months when we get there. So, yeah. So, but I think that is a very interesting point. Um, that this might be the thing that triggers them to be like, Hey, it's time to, we got to yeah. start making plans against Joffrey. And George loves tying in like the opening chapters to the final chapters. He did it. We, we noticed things in clash of Kings and of course a game of Thrones. And I would not be surprised if this is the triggering event. Right. Because obviously they do proceed through forward with that plan. And if Joffrey had been fine and Sansa had just been some traitorous, you know, yeah, and they still get to center off the High Garden, and then have a way into the North. I mean, it's the Tyrells are in about the best position you could possibly be in at this point, and I want to see how bad they fumbled the bag. Which is crazy, considering they just allied themselves with Renly. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. It's but there's so only wild. so many families. There's only so many families, and and hey, Black Battle Backwater without the Tyrells, it was over. Yeah, it was over. So. They uh, they corrected their sins, as as I guess they would say. Enemy of your enemy, right? Because they hated Stannis for killing Renly. And I don't know if Renly was ever considered all that big of a threat from the Lannister side anyways. I think they were always more worried about Stannis. Which they had good yeah, reason to be. Yeah, probably. He was, he was an hour away from maybe winning and becoming king. Yeah. Well, because if, if he had taken... If Stannis had won the Battle of the Blackwater... He would have the crown land secured and then, of course, the storm lands, both of which are incredibly difficult to take over. Yes. And obviously you'd have Dragonstone. 
So, you know, that isn't really superior naval fleet. Really? Yeah. It'd be tough. It'd be tough to take him, especially because he is the king's older brother. And then, of course, he would have deposed Joffrey and he could just say, hey, he's a, you know, illegitimate. Oh, he would have lopped his head off. Yeah. He's an illegitimate heir and I can prove it. And then everyone would have said, okay, because he is actually the rightful king. I mean, then it does make you wonder if like Rob Stark still goes for like Northern Independence. We should do a what if episode. I think that would be a lot of fun. fun. I think it'd be. Yeah, I don't know that. I think Renly would just kind of back down because it'd really be. Well, if, if he if he he obviously took out Renly and then won the Battle of the Blackwater, if he had like taken if he had just gone straight to Blackwater, you know, he would have made Renly. He would have made Renly, you know, one of his master coin or something for sure. But right. but I think I think the um, bend the knee in front of everyone and then it would have been fine. Yeah. But I think Renly dying was always going to have to happen. You yeah. Know? I think I think so too. It's also just really integral to Stannis's character, I think, as well. Yeah. There was a meme today on uh, it's called it's one of the other subreddits, uh, "A Song of Ice and Fire Circle Jerk." Uh, it is <laughs> nothing but memes. Yes, uh, it is nothing but memes over there, and it was like it showed Renly, and then it showed like all of these these like other five characters and what they think about them, and it was like Marjorie. It's like please come to bed, Renly. Loras, please come to bed, Renly. Brienne of Tarth, please come to, to bed, Redley. And then Stannis, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> dude, the Baratheons. Yeah. It's so it's so true, though. It's like so true. It's like, dude, the Baratheons are such a mess. You know, Marjorie's like it's Loras, so like all I like, could love with Redley. And then Stannis is over there, like, I'm going to kill you. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, Baratheons have Targaryen blood as well. That's, an, That's uh, you true. know. That, that was popped up in this chapter. I mean, this chapter was really great, man. Yeah. This no, this yeah, this yeah, this is a great chapter. So next time we will actually be, man, hammering on another big one. This is like this is a great chapter, which is Phenomenal. gonna be John one. Phenomenal. John one. Yeah, this is gonna be another absolutely just mega chapter. So Oh, feels good, man. Feels good to be back into it. You know, we took a little break last week just to hit some House of the Dragon news. Uh also, now that I can sit <laughs> kind of sit i had to i had to switch halfway through from uh i was, I was kneeling on some i was kneeling on some pillows and i was gonna eh, i guess shift side side but so, uh, it's like it's like a, i guess it's it's a three-month injury if you blow out your disc in your back which is what i did uh it's a three-month injury is what everything said Not the doctors good. everything said yeah so i'm just past day 30 so i don't know i'm so third of the way there. i'm finally able to at least sit a little bit again which is huge because I haven't, I haven't, I haven't even been posting anything on YouTube. Uh, so sorry about that for the people over there on YouTube. And I'll probably do some sort of video just explaining uh, what went wrong uh, and where we've been. <laughs> and as I, because I'm just laying in bed, and it's like I have to type, you know, like this. I literally have to like I'm laying in bed, and I've got the laptop open, and I'm just like trying to do this. It's, it's like you're uh, playing a mini keyboard on your chest. Yeah, it's not a very good uh, thing. <laughs> However, I have been doing an insane amount of writing. So I Love have to see it. tons of content coming once I'm actually able to kind of get stuff going here. So. Awesome. 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 With that, guys, anything else, Jimmy? Uh, any other news or anything you want to talk about? Hit touch on. Hit. On. Uh, we will be collabing with uh, one of my friends over on YouTube, Joanna from Joanna Reed. She'll be coming on the channel and talking about her experience of rereading Game of Thrones for the first time in like 10 years. And Joanna's a wonderful person. Uh, so that'll probably be in the coming weeks. I would say maybe April 
sometime in April mm -hmm. that will probably happen. So you all have that to look forward to. And she's she's a wonderful reader and a wonderful content creator. We're excited to uh, collaborate with her in the future. Yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. So awesome. All right, guys. Well, with that, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing A Storm of Swords, John 1. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bendthekneepodcast.com. We will see you next time, and remember that winter is coming.